Hey, well, my name is Hunter Hambrick. Great to see you this morning. I'm one of the staff people here at Providence, and it's an honor for me to share God's word with you this morning. We are closing out a 13-week-long journey in the book of Ephesians, and uh, that may sound like a long time to study one single book of the Bible, but the late, great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones actually spent 262 sermons in Ephesians. It's a little over five years for those who don't want to do the math, and uh, Juan and I were joking last week about just how full these passages are. He's like, I had so much I wanted to cram into this as he preached on the full armor of God last week, and uh, when Dr. Jones preached on the full armor of God, it lasted 68 weeks, so maybe maybe that's our, our, our fault. We should have spent a little bit more time. Um, many of you are probably grateful that we didn't go that slowly, um, but some of you actually probably wish, like, man, I wish we could have slowed down. Like, Ephesians is so packed with truth and goodness, and there's so much in there I don't want to miss out. Uh, for you, I want to recommend two resources. Uh, the first is a 12-week Bible study series on Ephesians produced by Crossway, and this is meant to be studied individually or as a group. lasts about 12 weeks and is super helpful for digging deeper into the letter. And so I'm interested. Would anyone want a copy of this? It's totally free. Uh, you can raise your hand. Don't be shy. I saw this hand first. Give it back here to you, Jessica. There you go. I hope you enjoy that. And uh, then we have a second resource I'd also commend called United to Christ, Walking in the Spirit. This is a theology of Ephesians, and uh, it really dives deep into some really important topics in the letter, like union with Christ, walking in the Spirit, spiritual warfare, and uh, is pretty thin, um, very, it's, you know, kind of intermediate academic, but super, super helpful and very accessible. Anybody interested? All right, all the way in the back. Got another lady, Liz. Well done, well done. Good deal. Well, the rest of you can go to Amazon and uh, <laughs> check it out because we ain't rolling in the bank like that here, but that's all right. That's all right. Hey, this morning we're going to dive into the letter of Ephesians as a whole. If you've been part of Providence for any length of time, you know we do something here called Testimony of the Word. And it's an opportunity where we can share with each other what God is saying through Scripture. And this morning, rather than preach a 35-minute message on these four verses, we're actually going to take time to do an extended Testimony of the Word. We want to hear what God has spoken to you over these past three months. We're doing this because we actually think it would be a shame to just rush on to the next series without first taking time to reflect and process all that God has shown us through this marvelous little letter. James 1, through 25 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself or herself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The blessing is in the doing. Jesus himself says as much in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Christ warns us, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Everybody say wise man. Who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, 
the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. Come on, everybody say foolish man. At my old church, they would have said, touch three people and say, I pity the fool, I pity the fool, I pity the fool. We're not going to do that today. It's a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. These should be haunting words to us because it's the same scenario, same storm, but it's the foundation that determines the faithfulness. Unless we think these are just generic words from Jesus, Christ says in Revelation 2 to the church in Ephesus, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Wow. Obedience. Holiness. The ability to suffer and persevere. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Wow. Words in red. This is the words of Jesus. This is serious business. Because if we don't actually do what the Bible tells us to do, not only do we deceive ourselves, but we are in danger of disqualification. Stark words, sobering words. Christ calls us and commands us to put our faith into practice. So Ephesians 6, 21 through 24 is where we will begin today. You can go ahead and turn there now if you've not done so already. I'll offer a brief reflection on these verses and then recap Ephesians as a whole in case you haven't been paying stellar attention since July or if you're joining us for the very first time. Uh, and then I'll break us into small groups right in our rows and we'll discuss the letter together. Sound good? Awesome. Well, if you're taking notes this morning, and I hope that you are, I'd like to preach a message to you called Living the Letter. Living the Letter. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love. You have breathed on our dead bones and called us to life. God, we realize that we may be the only Bibles that some people ever read. Help us, God, not just to espouse your word, but to embody it, to get the DNA of Ephesians so far down into our bones that we become living letters, faithful ministers of an incorruptible faith. We pray this prayer and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I referenced Dr. Jones a moment ago. He's a famous Welsh preacher from the 20th century. And despite his love for Ephesians, he actually never preached a sermon on chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. And I can't blame the dude. Uh, many churches just skip over this section entirely because it doesn't really contain much there uh, by way of indication of who Christ is or what we're commanded to do or how we're supposed to live. But 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 teaches us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Ephesians 6, 21 through 24 is no exception. 
In fact, this section begins by referencing one such individual servant who is equipped and ready for good works. It's a man named Tychicus. Tychicus was an Asian Gentile believer who came to faith under Paul's ministry. Uh, The book of Acts actually records how Tychicus was a part of Paul's posse. He rolled with him from town to town, city to city, port to port, as they proclaimed the good news of the Messiah's life, death, and resurrection. They joined together for the gospel. In fact, Acts 20 verse 4 says, Sopater from Berea, Aristarchus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe and Tychicus from Asia traveled with Paul, a Jew, from Tarsus. Do you get the picture? Berea, Thessalonica, Derbe, Asia, and Tarsus. A motley crew of multi-ethnic misfits sailing the wine-dark sea of the Mediterranean, partnering together despite their differences for the sake of the gospel. The multi-ethnic church, friends, is not a 21st century fad. It is as ancient as the book of Ephesus itself. The actual word for servant or minister in verse 21 is the Greek word diakonos, and it's where we get our English word deacon. Uh, Tychicus, the deacon, came to Ephesus, number one, to inform the Ephesians how Paul was doing, and then number two, to strengthen their hearts. By God's grace, we've had six such servants stand in this pulpit to strengthen our hearts as well. Juan, Jason, Josh, myself, Jen, and Matt. Can we thank God for them? Just thank them for bringing their messages week in and week out. It's been a blessing. And I think of the other deacons in our midst who lead our community groups, the Raheels, the Steidels, the Morenos, the Cruises, the Garbers, the Brims, the Purvises, Cynthia, Nicole, Caitlin. The list goes on and on. They have been faithful in our midst. And the message of Tychicus's ministry is made clear in verse 23. He says, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Peace, love, faith, and grace. Actually, these aren't just to be features of Tychicus's message. These are the crown jewels of Ephesians. What virtues better summarize Paul's thoughts so far than peace, faith, grace, and love? In chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says of Jesus, he himself is our peace. In 6.16, he says, in all times and in all places, take up the shield of faith. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says that the Father chose us and saved us to the praise of his glorious grace. And in chapter 5, verse 2, he calls us to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Paul's point is clear. Because of the peace, faith, grace, and love that is ours in Christ, just like Tychicus, we can be faithful servants of an incorruptible faith. That's chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. What about Ephesians as a whole? Well, ushers are making their way down the aisle right now. We put together a little booklet to help recap the series, and hopefully this can serve as an aid to you uh, when we break up into small groups in just a moment. In there, you'll find some single-sentence summaries of all the sermons that were preached the past 12 weeks, and this gives a recap of the letter as a whole. And uh, this booklet also contains a Venn diagram uh, with three of the key themes from the letter of Ephesians. And so I want to take just a minute to explain these three ideas because I think they really summarize the letter as a whole. 
Uh, at the top there, you'll see spiritual. Um, in the bottom left, you'll see the ecclesial. And then the bottom right, you'll see missional. The spiritual really summarizes chapters one through two. It's all about what God in Christ has done for us through the Holy Spirit. We have been united to Christ, so now we participate in his life, his death, and his resurrection, and we've been united to one another. You see kind of unity in there between spiritual and ecclesial. We're bound together with Christ and one another because of Christ's death on the cross. The ecclesial refers to us. That's the church who are being built up into a holy temple, a dwelling place for God. We've been washed by the blood of Jesus and now are to live purely as saints, holy ones, set apart for the sake of our mission of blessing, loving, and reaching a lost and dying world. The church is to be pure, and it's that purity that helps shine the light on what Christ has done in us as we go on mission to love and serve the world around us. Ephesians is missional as well. In, the in that the church has not been given a mission, rather God's mission has been given a church. And part of our mission is to learn what it means to live under authority. So this is all of the household codes about uh, wives and husbands and children, parents and, and servants and masters. Uh, there, we need to know what it means to live under authority, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. But not only do we submit to authority, we actually have authority over, so we get under authority, but we also have authority over the spiritual powers in the heavenly places forces of darkness and evil that seek to uh, contort and, and, and distract and take away from the mission that God has called us to do. Interestingly, these three categories actually map pretty well onto our three loves on the wall. Uh, we love God together. That's our spiritual act of worship. We love our church family together. That's the ecclesial calling that we have in Christ. And then we love our neighbor together. That is our mission, to live as fully loved and devoted disciples of Jesus Christ and to love our neighbors to do the same. But all of this can be summed up into a statement we've used repeatedly throughout this series, and it's this. God has redeemed us to be the church, a community of love for his glory. So, We've heard these words, but how do we live them? We want to get this letter lived. Uh, in just a moment, I'll cut you loose into groups of five or six, preferably no more than eight. If you want to join with your community group, that's totally fine. Or you can just group up with four or five other people right there in your row. Uh, but whatever you do, please make sure that no one is left alone. We want to make sure that everyone can be a part of the discussion. We'll take 15 minutes to discuss and then another 15 minutes or so to share what God has shown us. I see some of you taking photos. The discussion questions are actually on the back page of this handout that you just received. Um, and here they are. Number one, how can we model a peaceful, unified humanity in the midst of a hostile, divided culture? Number two, describe your prayer life. Have you put on the full armor of God? Thirdly, in light of this letter, what is one thing, not 17 things, not 20 things, just one thing that God wants you to believe or do? His word has spoken to us. What, what, how do we respond in our hearts or in our behavior? And how would believing or doing that thing impact your life? And then lastly, what changes to your time, money, or relationships do you need to make for that thing to happen? Maybe helpful to think about the context of your work, 
context of your family, context of your neighborhood, here in your community group, here at church, lots of different environments where these things may apply. Well, similar to the testimony of the word that we do here in Sunday service, most weeks we have two microphones in the back, two in the front, and I would love to hear you answer one of these questions or some other topic or question that came up in your group, or maybe even just an idea that came to your mind as you were rereading through Ephesians or processing with one another. And as always, please leave it to two minutes uh, max. We want to hear from as many people as possible, two to three minutes. If it's longer than that, you can, of course, share with your community group. Um, but love to hear some answers to some of these questions, some of the reflections that you have. So two microphones in the back, two in the front, and we'll go from there. All right. Thank you, Sherry. Honor your father and mother. I was convicted about defining someone beautifully made in God's image by the single worst day of their lives, and then defining them by their moment of weakness and how they've hurt me, rather than the transformation God has worked in their lives and the amazing good things they've done. I don't know about you guys, but I have a very special family. But I feel that I'm also quick to see the faults and reasons not to trust others also. My heart's desire is to hold both the reality of the good and the bad being present together. And then remember that this is how Christ sees me and wants me to treat others. You're broken and you're precious and both makes you valuable. Thank you, Sherry. This is beautiful. Right, Noah. Hi, everyone. Um, I might be a new face to some of you. Um, my wife and I are new here to Denver and have been visiting. Um, so I guess this is kind of an answer to question three. Um, but, but Jason preached on Ephesians 5, um, and specifically 25, it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Um, and in that, he gave a lot of examples of how Christ loves us um, and how I, I should then love my wife. And throughout the service, um, I felt a deep conviction um, for the ways in which I had not loved my wife in that way. Um, and I've been gifted with a wonderful wife. It happens to be her birthday today. Hey. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Hey, 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 hey. We ain't got time. We ain't got time. We ain't got time. We love you, Lauren. We love you. We'll sing afterwards. Um, but yeah, so he said, if headship actually means power in any sense, it's power to care, not to crush, serve, not to dominate, facilitate self-fulfillment, not frustrate or destroy it. Um, and just in, in the car ride home, I, we were talking and I just started to weep and the Holy Spirit was really doing work in me. And, um, the timing of the message was just pristine because the temperature in our marriage was off and it was because of the way I wasn't loving her, um, how Christ loves me. And just that acknowledgement and, 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 and having that conversation, the temperature started to shift. And um, it's just, it's, it's good how the Holy Spirit convicts you and 
um, that message was really good for me. Amen. We can thank God for that. Kyle. Morning, church. Uh, before I share something personal, I want to give a shout out. Like, I, I'm probably like a two-week-old when it comes to my knowledge of Spanish. But worship and Ellie Galavis, just to watch you worship, is, is fantastic. Um, and Will, my El Salvadorian brother, always love you jumping around up there, too. So there you go. Good job. Um, so I'm going to share. So, you know, Ephesians teaches in Christ that we are alive. And I, I was very fortunate this last week. Um, the southern part of Utah makes me feel alive. Okay? I feel it was beautiful. And you know, I know Joel Steidel feels alive when he's running outside. He would run, what, 40 miles in the Grand Canyon. And I saw Joel today, tapped him on the shoulder. I was like, hey, man, Grand Canyon looked great. He's like, yeah, it was a home run. And I think back to a trip that I recently took to the southern part of Utah, and a trip that I've been thinking about for 10 years. And it was, a, it was a grand slam. And there's two things that happened on this trip that I look back on and like, okay, I think there's some growth there. As I came from more of a Lutheran mindset that even though it's not works-based, I still think I pick up some of that works-based, but also just the way that I'm wired. I am a, a, I love the book of James. You know, do what it says, right? Like, be action-oriented, and I am an action-oriented individual. The two different things on this trip was different for me. Uh, one was I actually, like, raised my hands like this in a canyon and did not feel that that was idolatrous, that I was worshiping the created rather than the creator. I was just being alive and being present with who I was and where I was, and that was different. Like, there wasn't that legalistic, oh, I'm treating it as an idol. No, like, I'm just living out my heart right now, and this feels the best expression of that, okay? The second thing was um, my buddy Grant from Iowa, uh, flew out for this trip, and he does not know the Lord. And so many times when I uh, went out with Grant, I would just feel that I needed to um, say the gospel, preach to him, um, and I didn't feel I didn't feel like I had to do that. And actually, I feel that's growth in me because I can try to control a situation, I can try to play God in the situation, and I didn't do that. Like, I just loved him for who he was. And that was very important. And I think, you know, he's got a God-shaped hole in his life, but I didn't try to play God, point that out, and feel that it was my role to change him. And so just trusting for growth in me is just trusting in a good, big God and allowing him to be that rather than me having to try to be action-oriented, works-based, and allowing God to be sovereign in the timing of Love it, my friend. Thanks. And thank you, Kyle. That's awesome. Cool. Anyone else? We got time for like five, six more. Uh, we were uh, we were in the first question, and I just noticed a theme in some of our stories. We, we kind of got into when have when has peace essentially been modeled for us, and the stories all came out like. Joshua, especially thinking about your story about, it was generosity, it was somebody acknowledging something he did through a tip. Uh, and then the, some of the other stories that came out around uh, you know, people paying it forward, and it just like, you know, 
Jacqueline, you, were, you remember it, like you still remember that from four years ago, that story, and how generosity uh, is a model of bringing peace. Like, and especially when it's like, I didn't necessarily feel like I deserved it, or uh, just the sense of like somebody else loved me, even though they don't even know me, uh, or they acknowledged my um, service through something like even a, as simple as a tip. So generosity was just a theme that I just wanted to share of how do we go out of our way uh, to realize that everybody's fighting a battle that we don't understand? And how do we go out of our way to just be generous with our speech, with our money, um, and that that might perpetuate more generosity as opposed to uh, animosity, you know, and perpetuating more animosity. So that was just a theme. I just want to share that. Awesome. Thank you, Tucker. Really good. I'll just share um, a quick thing. When Jason first preached on Ephesians and his first one was about shame, um, and I've had some really good friends lately who the God, who God has put in my life who have called out shame that I live with it, and I quickly, um, I'm also an avoider, so I push it away. Um, and God's just really been showing me how shame has controlled my life and how I live under it. And there's just been this sense of freedom lately where um, I'm, I'm free to disappoint people. Um, and that feels really good. Thank you. <laughs> so I just wanted to share that. I will be disappointing you all. And that is okay. And um, We should clap for that. Thank you, Faith. Big Mike. One, uh, one thing that really came out to me the other week as we were talking about the... Uh, armor of God in uh, 6 and 13. Uh, take up the whole armor that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. And then he says in verse 18, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Um, that reaches out to me in, in light of the question in this letter, what's one thing God wants you to believe or do? And how would believing or do that impact your life? Um, we were talking in our little group about um, uh, a lot of times we can have just a very pessimistic view of the world or the things around us and um, uh, don't want to stand, feel like we can't stand, or if we're standing, we're not standing in a prepared state to be able to deal with what comes our way. Sometimes it feels like life can just be happening to us. Um, and maybe we'll make it through, and maybe if I sit down or stay hidden, you know, these things will just kind of wash over me, to um, really felt the conviction to, you know, renew my strength in the Lord and be able to stand and be prepared in my mind, body, and spirit, um, and um, encourage myself to have that strength to persevere. God isn't asking me to save the world, you know? God saves the world, right? I just, I need to stand and believe that God is a God that's going to do what he says he's going to do. That, that, uh, that uh, I can stand and believe and be prepared knowing and expecting that what God has promised he is, he is going to do. Hmm. Um, and that's something I feel like God is really calling me to have faith in again. Um, 
not just sitting down and observing, but really standing ready and believing mm-hmm. um, that the work God has started, he's going to perform. So. Come on. Thank you, Michael. Awesome. Maybe one or, one or two more. Well, mine is two because it's in Spanish and English. So. Bueno. Buenos días. Uh, nosotros nos reunimos en la esquina y estábamos hablando de lo que es um, el carácter de, de la armadura de Dios y nosotros uh, hemos en cierta manera nuestra cultura nos ha enseñado en Latinoamérica que tenemos que cargar todo lo que podamos. That we can have to carry everything that we can carry. Cuando Juan predicó la semana pasada, when Juan preached last weekend, uh, Ephesians 6, 10, 20, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, uh, se, me, se me cayó toda la carga. I like released all of that weight that I was carrying. So now I feel really light. So <laughs> <laughs> y, y con esta expresión, lo que yo quiero decir es que muchas veces and with all that pressure, what I want to say is that a lot of times queremos hacer el trabajo de Dios we want to do God's work y Dios ya hizo su trabajo and God's already done the work so nosotros so we lo único que nos queda es the only thing we have to do aceptarlo is accept it pero hablando de mí but talking about me el orgullo no me dejaba my pride wouldn't let me porque yo soy yo because I'm me y a lo mejor aquí hay algo otros como yo room, like queremos controlarlo control tener el poder y eso no nos permite recibir lo que Dios ya hizo so, and that's why I feel like not in Spanish and that's, that's why I feel like sometimes I don't let God do what he's, he's wanting to do in my life. No dejo que Dios haga lo que hacer en mi vida. Because my pride and my ego, mi y mi ego is stronger. Es más so I got to let the sacrifice of Christ tengo que dejar que el de Dios break that down. Yes. Yes. And that's my learning. Y eso Gracias. Come on, give it up for Will and Cynthia. Thank you, Cynthia. Got to let go of that ego. In Jesus' name. Well, I'm going to invite the worship team up as we close this morning. Uh, you may have seen it in your booklet, but Clinton Arnold says in his masterful commentary on Ephesians, he has this pretty amazing quote where he talks about the 30 times that Paul talks about this phrase in Christ. He says 30 times in this short letter, Paul uses the expression in Christ and its variations to characterize the new identity of these believers. They now exist in a dynamic personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, which defines who they are, empowers them to live, and gives them a new purpose and meaning for living. He goes on to track all the times that Paul calls believers in Christ. He says, in Christ, we are alive saved, a new creation, brought near to God, given access to God, profoundly loved, God's possession, sealed as God's property. We're God's inheritance. We're God's heirs. In Christ, we're adopted by God. We're beloved children. We're members of God's kingdom. 
in Christ. We are chosen by God, predestined by God, called by God, redeemed, forgiven, sanctified, cleansed, saints. We're part of Christ's corporate body, but it gets better. In Christ, we are members of the household of God. We're part of the new holy temple that God is building. We're possessors of the Holy Spirit. We're a dwelling place for Christ, a workmanship of God. We're light and we are servants of Christ Jesus. My friends, that's you if you are in Christ. The single most important question, brothers and sisters, in the letter of Ephesians is, are you or are you not in Christ? Because that determines everything. Throughout this series, we've used a picture in the backdrop of the Chartres Cathedral outside of Paris, France. This cathedral is one of the medieval marvels of European architecture. It was originally commissioned in 1252, and it took several decades to build and even survived a fire in the process of construction. The most notable feature of the church, though, is its panoramic panels of 176 stained glass windows. Crazy. 13th century. Every single one of these scenes tells a story. It has familiar images like Mary and the baby Jesus on the far left. It has biblical scenes like Adam and Eve being cast out from the garden. You can see them covering themselves and the cherubim in kind of the center left there. On the far right, you have the scene of the transfiguration. You have Moses and Jesus and Elijah, along with the three apostles, Peter, James, and John, sitting there trembling. In the bottom left, you actually have the prodigal son, or uh, pardon me, the good, the good Samaritan. You can see the Samaritan there kind of with his bloodied rags, and then Christ is the innkeeper ready to receive him. Absolutely beautiful. And the, the, the far right is not in the Bible. This is uh, St. George riding on his trusty steed into battle, ready to slay the ancient dragon. So they kind of painted themselves into the story. These windows combine to tell a single story about the people of God and their place in it. Many stories combine to tell one story and the bits and pieces of colored glass are beautiful on their own, but only when the light shines through can their story be seen. Providence Bible Church, when the light shines on us, when the world looks at us, what do they see? Will they see a redeemed community of love that exists only and always for God's glory, or will they see something else? Christ wants to shine on us, friends. He wants his light to shine through us, to see what he has done for us, to come through us so that the world can see that we are a city on a hill, set apart, distinguished, that we are made to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful, marvelous light. And so I wanna ask you, my friend, are you in Christ today? Because if you're not, you're missing out. If you don't know the answer to that question, I beg you to come to Christ today. His arms are open wide. We're gonna have our prayer team down front, myself, Pastor Alvaro and Jocelyn, and we would love to walk you down that road of salvation in Christ. Oftentimes we think of eternity as something ahead of us, something that's later on down the road in the calendar, but really eternity is more like a river. It's a stream that's always running alongside us. And at any given moment, any one of us can 
pass on to eternal life. Here today, gone tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts when you hear his voice. He's calling to you. And I tell you that this is the best place that you could come to Christ. Today is the best time that you could come to Christ. Next week, we're celebrating new life in Christ with water baptism. And we are going to have people go public with their faith that they said, hey, I was dead and now I'm alive. I was in the dark. Now I'm in the light. And I want to see what God wants to do through me. And if you are in Christ, then praise him. Praise him because he saved you. Praise him because he shined on you. Praise him because he took you when you were gone and long, far away in a far off country, and he called you home. I want to invite you to stand as we worship. We're going to praise God and thank him for his excellencies, for calling us out of darkness. We're going to say that our God is awesome, and he deserves our praise because our God is great and greatly to be praised. We worship you, God. We say you alone deserve all the glory and all the honor and all the praise and all the majesty and all the dominion. We love you, God. We lift your name up.